Well, for the last um, three weeks, um, we've been unpacking in some detail um, something called a blood covenant ritual. And um, this ancient ritual is something that peoples in ages gone by engaged in as a means of establishing a, a legally binding, unbreakable contract. Um, covenant was also not just this contractual uh, agreement, but it was also something that um, people who had had a long-term friendship out of, out, of a, out of a deep commitment to one another, they would also enter covenant with one another um, to officially and legally become one entity, the two becoming one. What does that remind you of? The two becoming one? Marriage. And... Um, in that, what was uh, uh, known as a, a blood covenant ritual, where, where the uh, two entities, two uh, people became blood brothers, um, they shared from that moment on everything in common. Um, what belonged to one belonged to the other. In fact, so, so rich and so deep was the uh, covenant thinking. If you had a need, you wouldn't even have to come and ask me to take something that was mine because it was understood it was already yours. And as we've highlight, highlighted over the last number of weeks, um, the incredible story of the Bible is this, that God initiated a blood covenant friendship with a man called Abraham. And God pledged himself to Abraham and sealed that pledge in blood and in that ceremony, all that Abraham was and all that he possessed in that moment became God's. But also all that God has or had and all that God was and is in that moment became Abraham's because that is how covenant um, operates. And we've had um, such... Uh, really quite an overwhelming response. I, I, I know that God's kind of been tinkering with people's thinking as we've gone through uh, these last three weeks. And I had planned on to uh, plan to move on and talk about something else in regards to Abraham this week and next week. But because uh, Lou and I sense that um, this thing of covenant is starting, the penny is starting to drop. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's starting to lodge in people's thinking. We thought that it would be good, um, at least this week, to massage something in regards to covenant just a little bit further to help reinforce um, what it is that we have come into as um, heirs, joint heirs, together with Abraham. And uh, today we're going to examine how covenant practically works itself out in our day-to-day -day lives. What does it mean for us as people in covenant relationship with God? What does that look like? What does that mean? And how can I apply this principle of being a covenant partner with God? How does that sound? I can change my message if you want me to. You don't look all that enthusiastic. Um, Silly question, but who here is familiar with the story of David and Goliath? I, I would imagine most of us, if not nearly all of us, would be familiar with the story of da da David and Goliath. We probably learnt it in Sunday school how David, a young shepherd boy, fought and defeated a giant. 
And this well-known event, which is found in 1 Samuel 17, is actually a great example of um, the covenant in action. Just a bit of a background about this David and Goliath story. Um, For 40 days, Goliath um, taunts the army of Israel. He comes out in the morning and on a night time and he goes, says something nasty like, you Israelites are a bunch of wimps. And all the Israelites would get very fearful and scared. King Saul uh, was the only one who actually had any armor. I think Jonathan, his son, had a bit of armor. But other than that, these guys were, Israel was, was, was terrified by this giant. One day, David, a young shepherd boy, comes to the battlefield. Uh, he's bringing food um, to his older brothers who are part of the army. And he overhears um, Goliath. I can't tell the story without thinking of um, the VeggieTales. I think. Who, who remembers VeggieTales? Those of us who have had kids, yeah. Um, VeggieTales, fantastic. Um, he overhears um, Goliath's threats. And David, who is not trained or equipped to be a soldier, says, I'll go out and I'll take this giant on. And you kind of go, what possessed David to think and act like that? It looks such an incredible, uneven match. Um, uh, Goliath is three metres tall. He's got a spear with the point on the end of it, which, which, which weighs um, seven kilos. So he's a big hunk of a guy. Just think me if you want some kind of, of image likeness to kind of uh, a representation of that. We should get that photograph back up again. Uh, and um, so here's this massive uh, hunk of a man versus a 15, 16-year-old shepherd boy. It's an uneven match. You know, if you were, if you were taking bets, you know, I was at sport, sports bet or whatever it is, all of the money would be on Goliath. There's no way that an inexperienced shepherd boy with a a slingshot and five stones is possibly going to win a battle, a fight against Goliath. It's just not going to happen. But when you hear David's language, you realize that he understands something that King Saul and the rest of the army of Israel don't understand. And that is that Israel are a people who are in covenant relationship with God. And if we don't understand covenant, uh, you've probably read um, 1 Samuel 17, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath many, many times. But if you don't understand covenant... You actually don't understand the basis or the foundation of this story because it's a covenantal story. And David says something a little bit strange. Again, to our, ear, our ears, it sounds a little bit, bit, bit funny. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, um, while Goliath is saying, you're a bunch of wimps, this is, this is David's response. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. 
that's a bit weird, isn't it? Who is this uncircum... What's circumcision got to do with a fight? Well, hopefully, if you've been listening or been here over the last few weeks, you'll understand what circumcision is a representation of. What is it a representation of? It's the, the sign. It's the mark of covenant. Remember, there was a mark made in a person's body, usually in the, in the hand or in the wrist, that symbolized that mark was uh, sealed with some, some pigment or some dye that left a permanent reminder that, that we were in covenant relationship. The mark of the covenant that God entered into with, with Abraham and with the descendants of Abraham wasn't a mark in the wrist or in the hand, it was a mark somewhere else for, for males. Okay? And that mark, that, that mark of circumcision was a symbol or a sign to the nation of Israel that they were not alone that they had a covenant partner who had pledged and sealed in blood a commitment, an obligation to be faithful and to be loyal and to protect his people. And David got it. David understood that. He understood that this was actually about being in covenant relationship with God. Secondly, David um, says something else of, of great significance that again only makes sense if um, we are familiar with the concept of covenant. And this is what I'm going to emphasize um, to us this morning. See if you pick this up. In 1 Samuel 17 45, it says that David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do you remember one of the, um, the steps of entering into covenant was the exchange of names? You would change, you would take something of your name and you would give it to your covenant partner, and your covenant partner would uh, encompass um, something of their name into your, into, your, into your name. That was part of this covenant ritual. Um, and in the case of Abraham, it was the, the, the letter H, or the sound HA, which is the dom dominant sound within the name of Yahweh or Jehovah that was changed Abraham, Abraham's name from Abraham to Abraham, from daddy to big daddy. Then also Sarai, she also had God's name breathed into her name and she was, her name was changed from Sarai to Sarah. But the incredible thing is that God's name was also Abraham and Sarah's name. And David got it. He understood this. As the covenant people of God, Abraham and his descendants, of which David was part of Abraham's line, gave them the right to call upon the name of their covenant partner. 
Now, in ancient times, names were not just given as a means of identification. They were given as a means of identity. They described a person's character, their nature of, of what they were like. And so when, when David calls upon the covenant name of God, he uses um, this name here. Uh, and I'm sorry about my Hebrew. Does anybody speak Hebrew well? Used to. It's one of those things I thought, you know, right, it was like he, speaking Hebrew is a bit like riding a bike. Once you've learned it, you know, you just never lose it. Um, I'll, have a, I'll have a go at it. Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, or the Lord of uh, power, or the Lord of battle. And what David introduces us um, to here is an important covenantal principle. And it's this. Our need is met by his name. I want to say that again. Is that up? Can we get that little phrase up there? Our need is met by his name. I don't know if it's on there. might not be on there. Okay. Let's say that together. Our need... Let's say that again. Our need is met by his name. Israel had a need. They were facing an army that was going to slaughter them. And David called upon the name Jehovah Sabaoth. And that name met that need. The name of God, the God's covenant name, was the solution or the answer to Israel's problem. Do you get this? Okay, because what I'm leading to is saying, this is how covenant actually practically works out in our day-to-day -day life. We have a need or we face a problem. And the solution to that need or to that problem is God's covenant name. Our need is met by his name. We tend to refer to God as God. Not very creative, is it? You know, what do we mean when we say God? Well, we just mean God. It's not particularly um, um, descriptive. But when God came to uh, his covenant people, Israel, he defined himself through his names. And those names were a reflection of God's character, God's nature, God's capacity, God's ability, which corresponded to human needs or problems. And so God's names, covenant names, express who God pledges himself to be for Israel in their time of need. I, 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 hope, I hope you're getting this because... Where's my Bible? This is my, my uh, 21st gift um, from my parents, which I really, I really treasure this. It's a bit... Got pages and all that. I don't treasure it that much, do I? I've uh, made a mess of it. I've used it. So 30-something years ago, I wrote out the covenant names of God. And I've carried that with me to remind me of who my God, our God is. Because you know what? I have needs and I have problems. 
And I've discovered something through this teaching on covenant is that my need is met by his name. My need is met by God's covenant name. When I understood that as a relatively new Christian about 30-something years ago, it was an incredible help to the way that I prayed. I have a need. I have a problem. God, you have a corresponding name that is able to come and be brought to bear into that situation. I'm sorry, I can't help but get really excited by this because it's so incredibly transformative when you get it, and not just get it, not just, not just understand it, when you, when you begin to apply this truth. So what I'm going to do now is very quickly go through the covenant names, some of the, some of the covenant names of God that we find throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to briefly mention them, and then we're going to end up in a really exciting space. So number one, Jehovah Jireh. We find this name, um, it was actually given by Abraham to God. Isn't that exciting? We can actually, not only does God name himself, but Abraham had the audacity to name God. So if you have a need that isn't actually, you don't have a, can't find a covenant name, that's okay. Create one. Be creative. Um, and so the name here is Jehovah Jireh, and it's found in Genesis 22, verses 13 to 14, and it means the Lord who provides. And the context of this story is that um, Abraham, as we talked about this a, a, a few weeks ago, is called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, the son of promise, on Mount Moriah. And as Abraham has his, um, his knife ready to um, plunge and we ca I can't get my head around this. Covenant helps me understand it a little bit, but um, he's ready to plunge his knife through his, his son. And this is what it says. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Does anyone here have a need for provision in their lives? Whether it's material or spiritual or... Does anybody have a need or is it just me and Lou who are needy? We have a need of provision. Our need for provision is met by his name, Jehovah Jireh. Then there is Jehovah Rohi. Find this in Psalm 23, verse 1. We're familiar with this. The Lord is my shepherd. What do shepherds do? Shepherds lead and they feed. That's my job as a pastor, is to lead and to feed. I should, if you come here and you're not spiritually fed and you don't feel like um, the, 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 the substance of what is delivered to you through the Word of God, you need to go somewhere else where a shepherd can feed you. That's the job of, of it. That's why we come. It's part of my role as a, as a shepherd is to feed, but also to, to lead. And um, who needs guidance? This word roho also means friend or um, companion. Who sometimes gets lonely? 
Our need for guidance in friend, and friendship is met by Jehovah Rohai. Jehovah Rophai, Exodus 15, 26, the Lord who heals. God is a physician. And we see that throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. God is a doctor that heals not only physical ailments, but hearts and minds. Does God heal every time? No, he doesn't. Why? I don't know. Do I wish that we would see more manifestations of healing? Yes, I would. But we live in the tension of what is called the now and the not yet. But that doesn't negate the fact that God remains unchanging. And so our need for healing, whether it be emotional, mental or physical, is met by Jehovah Rophe. Jehovah Shammah. You find this in Ezekiel 48.35. It means the Lord who is there or the Lord who is always present. And this was a name that was given to God, or actually given to Jerusalem, as a promise that God would not uh, abandon the city and leave it desolate. There are times where we just need God's presence in our lives. And we need to remind ourselves that God is Jehovah Shema. When we sometimes feel abandoned, we need to call upon the name of Jehovah Shema. Then there is Jehovah Shalom, my, my favorite word. I just wish I had the guts to get a tattoo, because if, if I had the guts to get a tattoo, I'd have the word Shalom tattooed, probably across my forehead or something like that. I don't know. I just, somebody pray for me to have courage to get a tattoo, because I'd, lo- I'd love to have... No, no. A transfer. <laughs> Such a tough guy that I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is normally uh, translated as uh, God, our peace, the Lord, our peace. But we know that this word shalom is more than peace. What is it? Wholeness. Com- completeness, did somebody say? Restoration. The little phrase, remember? <laughs> Nothing broken, nothing missing. Have you got broken stuff in your life? Broken relationships? Well, God is a God of peace, the God that brings harmony. And our need for, for peace is met by his name. Jehovah Nissi, Exodus seventeen fifteen. the Lord, our banner. We're not going to become a church that has flags. Please, please not let us be a church with flags. Although I reckon John would be a good banner. Both of you Johns would be great banner wavers. You know, in, in, in Old Testament times, an army would fly their flag at the front line of battle and the soldiers would see that flag and it would give courage to them and it would inspire hope within their hearts and it would give them a focal point in tough times. The Song of Songs says, His banner... God's banner over me is love. There is a banner. Sometimes we just need to feel loved. We need a focal point. We need to be inspired with hope. Now, need for love and hope in dark and troubling times is met by this name. And then there is this last one, Jehovah Sidkenu. Jeremiah 23.6. 
the Lord our righteousness. Now, come on. You must know what righteousness is in Pidgin English by now. God. Very good. God, he say, me all right. We all fail. We all mess up. But there is a covenant name. Jehovah said, can you? That we go to and we proclaim and speak out over ourselves. That says, God, he say, me all right. I have as much right to stand in the presence of God before the Father as Jesus does right now. I'll never be more righteous than I am at this moment in time. When God declares us righteous, he declares us righteous. And I, I still marvel at that. I know who I am. I know where I've come from. I know what I'm like. And yet I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our need for right standing with God is met by this name. Proverbs 18.2 says, The name of the Lord is a fortified or a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of Jehovah is a fortified tower. It's a safe place. It's a place that we can run and find safety. This is who our God is. We are not trying to coax God into becoming something that God isn't or is reluctant to be. These are the covenant names of God. It is God who has pledged himself to be these attributes to his people. And then when we step into the New Testament, we are introduced to two new covenantal names. The first is absolutely beautiful. It's the name Abba, Father, Daddy. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus introduces us and encourages us to pray that when we talk and commune with God, he introduces us to God as a parental figure, a loving, a loving parent. That we can come before God Almighty, the God of heaven, and call him Abba. And secondly, the New Testament introduces us to the name of Jesus. And my belief is, is that Jesus' name encompasses all of those Old Testament names of God. I don't have to remember Jehovah Sidkenu or Jehovah Jireh or uh, Jehovah Rapha. I don't have to be an expert in Hebrew, thank goodness. I just have to know that Jesus' name is above every other name. In Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and give, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this is how covenant outworks itself on a day-to-day basis in our life. We call on the name of Jesus, who is our blood brother, who is our friend. And we ask him to be who we need him to be. Our need is met in 
and by and through the name of Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. I think of the wedding um, feast at Canaan and this young, young couple, newly married, and the wine runs out. And they have a need. And Jesus becomes their source of provision and turns the water into wine. Obviously not a Baptist, but he cared for this young, people, this young couple. Jesus is Jehovah Rohi. Um, he is our shepherd and our friend. He's the good shepherd. He's the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Listen, if you sit on the margins of life and you feel like a failure, I want to tell you, you are a candidate for friendship with God. In fact, the worse you are, it seems to me, the more that Jesus would want to spend time with you. Good news. Jesus is... Jehovah Rapha, our healer. The Bible tells us in Acts that, he, that Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there, who will not abandon us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is Jehovah Shalom. He is our Prince of Peace. He said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And he is, Jesus is Jehovah Nissi. He is our banner. At the cross, as Jesus lifted up his arms... And he outstretched those arms. They were arms that were outstretched in love. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The cross, there Christ hanging, is God's banner over us, is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God's banner over you is love. Jesus is lifted up with outstretched arms and he is to be our focal point. When we go through troubled times and we need hope, look to Jesus. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. And he is Jehovah Sidkenu, God our righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how covenant works out on a day-to-day basis. Our need is met by his name. How gorgeous. And this is how... We live life. We live life in reliance and dependence upon our covenant partner. All we can offer God is, in response to this, is our lo- I said it before, is our love and loyalty. That's all we can do. Our worship, our thanksgiving. And learn to be those who rely upon God and trust God to be who God said he would be. 
our very, our very need is met in and through the name of Jesus. Do you want to lead us in a prayer?